What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold and the takes are hot. We've got episode 53 coming at you guys today. We've got a little regular Cold Seat Podcast episode. Missed our Thursday turf talk last week. Not on purpose, though. We I ended up having to drive home Wednesday morning, deal with some family stuff. But we I rec- we each recorded kind of a solo bit uh, at some point to late, early or late Tuesday night, and we we're gonna kind of piece it together. And um, went to get all that stuff spliced together on Wednesday night. And uh, turns out audio file was corrupted that I've recorded. Don't really know why. This has happened a couple times before, I think, with us. And we were able to kind of work around it. Didn't work this weekend, uh, just this week because of the fact that home didn't have my microphone. Um, and then on top of that, when I went in back into our recording software, go kind of figure it out. Couldn't recover it there. Spent like a whole day trying to toy with it when I was home. Didn't work out. So uh, unintentionally missed Thursday at Turf Talk. Our, we had, had intended to get it done, um, but to the fault of the software, we kind of technology is worse a little bit. So um, back here today, we are getting this a little bit late in, later in the day than we, knew, we normally do. Um, I got back late last night from Austin. Uh, was just drained. I'd spent 25 hours in the car since from you know since Wednesday. So I was tired and um, big thanks to Brett for being flexible today. Uh, with that said, we're gonna get uh, get going here today with uh, turn up the heat. I'll start I'll start with my hot take here. Um, this is uh, sports related this week. Not gonna go with a food related one like we usually do. Um, I'm going with. I've been firm on this for a long time. I don't know if I've ever talked about it on the pod, but I think Brett's heard me say this more than a few times. Coaching is more important in the NFL than roster talent is. Um, within like a little bit of reason, obviously you can't have like an expansion team. Like that's probably where that doesn't, you know, add up. Um, but I think coaching is far is a is far more important than, uh, you know, roster talent is. And I think as long as you've got a decent group of guys and a couple of playmakers you can really rely on, uh, you doesn't have to, you don't have to have a super talented roster. Um, I point to the Los Angeles Rams as a big one. Um, you know, Matthew Stafford obviously not what he was in his prime. Uh, no Cooper Cup. Aaron Donald's, you know, obviously not the, I don't think he's still, you know, quite as good as he was a few years ago when he was a, a, a repeat defensive player of the year. That said, they went out and took it to the Seattle Seahawks in week one, a game that they should have lost. I mean, I think objectively, the Rams have one of the least talented rosters in football. Um, they're probably a top five worst roster in, in, in football. And, um, you know, I know they I know they scored late like as time expired to win, to lose by seven and make it a one score game instead of a two score game against San Francisco. But I mean, they were in that football game for a, for a three quarters, basically. Um, they were in a one score game with arguably the best team in football in, in the Niners this year. So um, again, no Cooper cup. They traded Jalen Ramsey for a, what a third round pick. Aaron Donald's not the same as he used to be. I mean, I'd challenge a lot of people to name. I mean, Cam Akers didn't even play this week. So I would, I would challenge folks to name, other than Matthew Stafford and Aaron Donald, like name four players in the Rams. I don't know if a lot of people could do it. So um, I think Sean McVay is a great example of that. I think you look at what the Steelers have done the last couple of years with not very good rosters. TJ Watt's been hurt a lot, and they made a playoff push last year. They made the playoffs the year before when Big Ben was a literal like traffic cone in the backfield. So um, you need to look at Bill Belichick. I mean, that Patriots roster has not been very good. They've made the playoffs two years ago. Um, so I think you kind of go across the league and look at that and um, – you can kind of see the fact that good coaching wins out. I think you can look at – I mean, the Chargers are a great example, and I use I use them for this a lot. But they've got an objective – again, objectively a top five on paper, like 
roster talent in the league, and they're zero two because they get they've been they've been out coached two weeks. I mean, look at look at Mike Vrabel. I know they had a terrible year to end the year last year, but they should have beat the Saints at home. They made a couple of fatal errors at the quarterback position late in the game. Also on the road to New Orleans, they beat the Chargers this last week because they just simply outcoached Brandon Staley and the Chargers. And I think Mike Variable, I mean, look at the talent on that roster from head to toe. That's not been there the last few years, and they've been in the playoffs and contending for a playoff spot. So, um, you know, had Ryan Tannehill not gotten hurt, they would have made the playoffs last year. They would have won the division. So it's just crazy to see, um, you know, when good coaching wins out. I think you also look at teams like teams like the Ravens, for example. Like the Ravens are ready to play every week. They, it feels like they never get blown out, hardly ever, and it feels like they are always in competitive games. And maybe they lose some of them, sure, but I think what they've done the first two weeks of the season this year, while they've looked a little rusty offensively, that's you know going to happen with a new offensive coordinator. That team looks ready to play every week, and they look ready to go. Um, you see in the preseason, I mean, they had, was it 23 straight preseason wins or something crazy like that? I mean, that's coaching. <laughs> and that, that's coaching, right? Like that's, that's what that is, so... Um, having guys ready to go on Sundays is a big deal, or I guess Thursdays or Mondays or whatever game, or whatever day you're playing. Having all 53 ready to play uh, and be competent players out there is big. And I think um, this year, especially with the fact that basically September is preseason, which I I hate the NFL for, but that's a conversation for another week maybe. Um, and maybe we can talk about maybe maybe it'll be my hot take next week is that the NFL is totally screwed up scheduling, um, and that September games are now almost meaningless. You know, I mean not not that they are because they count towards your record, but um, maybe that I'll talk about that next week. But um, with pe- these base games basically being preseason games, you're seeing the well-coached teams not win every week, but they're playing a lot better than the teams that are not well-coached, if that makes sense. So um, I think you're seeing a lot, of, a lot of coaches get exposed right now in the first two weeks of football, and we're going to see it again next week. So that's my hot take is that coaching is more important than roster talent in the NFL. No, I agree with you to an extent. Obviously, um, there are some players in the league where it doesn't, to an extent matter what the coaching is. Um, but a lot of the times, a lot of teams don't have those kinds of players. Um, so no doubt it has a huge impact on the game, just from a play calling, from a preparation, from everything down to the nitty gritty, just because of how detail oriented preparation for a, like an NFL game is and football in general, um, in comparison to baseball and basketball, especially basketball, just because you have so few players and so few plays in comparison to football that it's not as much of a like a weight on the coach to make the right moves, and it's more so what can the players do when the ball's in their hands. So I think for NFL, it definitely is that coaching is bigger than any other sport, and we've seen it early on the season, like you said. I won't repeat, but uh, but yeah, it's I'm glad the Ravens have looks the way they especially this week look the way they did because after week one you know new offense it's tough but um but we'll touch on the nfl at the very end so i'll leave some things out um for the sake of progression of the episode but uh to turn up the heat for me uh not related to sports this is related to um food again i think this is my like third in the last four that has been related to food but pumpkin and pecan pies are the best um I've always, you know, haven't ever really liked fruit in pies, apple pie, whatever other pies there are that have fruit in them. Um, I have never really liked them. Um, I've always had pretty good pecan and pumpkin. I don't think I've ever had a a bad either one of those. Um, 
Key Lime Pie is also really, really good. Honorable mention. I think it's kind of slept on. A lot of people either hate it or love it, and I, I think it's really good. Being a picky eater might be surprising, but, um, but yeah, for sure, pumpkin and pecan pie are undefeated. One and two, any order doesn't matter. Um, it kind of depends on what you're feeling. You know, pecan is more of a dense filling pie, and p- pumpkin is a little bit, you know, it goes down smoother. It doesn't have those pecan chunks and stuff like that. So they're both really, really good, um, and I'm looking forward to having uh, some in what mid to late October. Pecan pie is elite. I'll agree with you there. Um, I will say the best pie I've ever had um, was from a. I don't even know if I call them like a like a like a, I guess like a kind of a family friend. Um, it's the people they lease, they hunt, they lease and hunt the the land next to us uh, at the ranch, and um, they're very nice. Like we're we're friendly with them. Whatever we see them when they're out there during deer season, and. Um, one of the guy's wives, he, she made us a, um, my dad had done, kind of helped him out with some stuff. And so the guy's like, Hey, like, can I pay you? And whatever. he's like, no, 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 like, don't worry about it. He's like, well, like, do you like pie? My dad's like, what kind of question is that? Yeah. I like pie. So his wife made us a, um, urban butter pecan pie. Banging. So good. Uh, that's the best pie I've ever had um pumpkin pie i'm actually not as much of a fan of i think pumpkin pie with a little bit of pumpkin pie spice in the filling i'm with i think regular pumpkin pies you buy from the store a little bland i think they got a little they're a little too i don't know i don't love i, I don't love the taste of pumpkin puree like straight up just like just pumpkin a uh, pumpkin spice i'm here for it brother i am one of the biggest fans in the world of the pumpkin cream cold brew from starbucks i'm here for it I love pumpkin spice, everything. I'm all about it. We, we've been over this, right? So, but the pumpkin pie, kind of a little, little bland sometimes. A good pumpkin pie is elite, though. You're absolutely right. And good call on the key lime pie. It's my dad's favorite kind of pie. Um, very good. Um, people got to get kind of, kind of want to stay as traditional or get like a real exotic with their pies sometimes. Key lime gets overlooked and it's very good. I will say I had a piece of key lime pie in the Florida Keys one time. Very, very underwhelmed. The best key lime pie I've had is not there i don't know where it is it's been in texas though i'll tell you that but texas just does it a little bit different but i'm with you there uh, that's a good take i will there are times where i think you have like some of your food takes i disagree with because you're picky and it, sometimes they're not great but yeah i'm i'll give you the thumbs up on this one that's uh, I, i'm i'm on with you on that um yeah cranked up the heat today i'm gonna take a little victory lap at the end of the episode on a hot take i had back in may so we're going to come back to the turn up the heat in a little bit of a cooled down ice bath method later but getting to the meat of the episode here today we've got mlb standings update kind of a playoff update if you will um we've got four four teams that have clinched their spot in the playoffs kind of getting out of the nitty-gritty i think we have like what 12 ish games left for each team roughly yeah um give or take a few games here and there so uh gonna looking for a couple teams to clinch this week um, namely the, the central team, the teams in the, the teams leading the central division should likely clinch by the end of the week. I would think by the, by the end of the weekend, probably. Um, but I'll start us off with the national league here. Dodgers to lead the national league West. They clinched this past weekend in Seattle. They're up 14 on the pack. Obviously they clinched the division. So they've secured a home playoff series in the divisional series. Um, they, I, I don't know if they've clinched a top two seed yet, but I think they're pretty close. Yeah. Um, I mean, I look at, I think, yeah, there, there's separation between them and the Brewers, I the think, Brewers. they should clinch in the next couple of days. 
I was going to say, I think they will pretty soon. They should clinch a bye pretty soon. Um, let's do league. Yeah, they're yeah they're up nine. They're up, up nine. Yeah, eight and a half up. So they're, they'll probably clinch here in the next couple of days. Um, Brewers are still six up as we're kind of talking about the Brewers going going through here. Brewers are six up in the Central. I assume they're going to clinch pretty soon. The Cubs have been bad lately. They've not been playing good baseball. They've lost five straight. They're two of their last two, one, two of their last ten. So um, they're I mean, may not make the playoffs at this rate. So, um, but yeah, I, I think the Brewers probably clinch here by again by the end of the weekend. I would think. I think every team's playing from now until Sunday. So in, by the, by the time Monday starts, they should probably have clinched. Uh, and then the National League East, the Brewers were the first team to clinch a playoff berth, first team to clinch the division. I believe they clinched, I think, a, a few days before the Dodgers did. They're 14 up on the Phillies. Um, they should lock up the one seed here. Actually, well, he, they should in the next couple of weeks. But they, theirs might draw further along into next week. They just, I mean, they just got swept by the Marlins, I think, in four. Um, or is that was that who did they just play for four? Is it the Marlins? Or do they lose like two and two? I don't know. They've lost four straight. They're not. They're, they've not been playing great as of late. So we could see them flip with the Dodgers. I don't think they will. I don't think the Dodgers really want to either. I think they want to have the two seed. Nobody yeah. wants to play the Phillies. I don't think in the playoffs. So um, that said, that's kind of a, a discussion for wildcard standings in a second here. But yeah, that's kind of the National League looks. Not a lot of changes. Um, again, I expect the Brewers to clinch here by the end of the weekend. So. Yeah, I mean. Similar to the National League, the American League has two teams, and then everyone else. Uh, we're, or honestly, based off the math, we probably won't have another team clinch a playoff berth for another seven days, um, yeah, six American to seven days. Crazy. So we might we might be waiting for a bit. The Orioles, in terms of American, well, I, I guess I'll get to divisions first. American League West, the Astros are one and a half up on both the Rangers and the Mariners, who are both one and a half back. Um, Astros have a big series with Orioles going on right now. In Houston, AL Central, the Twins are seven up. I've just steadily kind of pulled away from the Guardians and the Tigers. Um, you know, I think the Tigers haven't been as bad as people thought they'd be. They've played pretty well down the stretch um, in terms of what their expectations were. But overall, really weak division. Um, look for the Mar- or the excuse me Twins to clinch that in the next couple days and. Then the Orioles, AL East, um, they've been fighting with the Rays in that division for a while now. They're two and a half up in the division. Uh, the Orioles have 12 games left. The Rays have 11 games left. So um, the Rays will need to get hot here pretty soon to overtake the division. Um, they just finished a big four-game set where they each took two games, and they both clinched a playoff berth. What was that? On Sunday? Um and then you look at the AL as a whole, and you have the Orioles and Rays, and then eight games behind the Rays are the Astros. So a big gap between the top two and the rest. Um, in terms of the AL wildcard, the Rays are nine and a half up, so they already clinched a wildcard spot, if not a division title. Um, Blue Jays are one game up, so I would think they'd probably clinch a spot. They've been steadily a couple games up on the AL West teams that aren't leading the division. Um, so unless something happened to them, they probably clinch in a spot and the Rangers and Mariners, um, you're looking for them to battle it out for that final spot. I don't think, I don't know. The Rangers are too streaky for me. It seems like they can't win or lose less than four games at a time. 
Um, yeah. So I, I'd be looking they've for They've lost Mariners. four straight right now, so. Right. But they did get Josh Young back. I don't know what kind of impact he's going to have this soon coming back from injury, but uh, I honestly couldn't tell you which of those teams is going to make the playoffs. Um, so that should be a really fun race down the stretch this last two weeks of baseball, or at least regular season baseball. Um, but yeah, you're looking at three AL East teams and two AL or AL West teams um, with another battle in it out. So overall, um, the AL has stayed pretty much the same throughout the back half of the year. There hasn't been a whole lot of movement in terms of like that Rangers, Mariners, Twins. There was a little bit of movement, but not too much as of late. So I'd expect I, – I don't think the Twins are going to make it. Uh, well, excuse me, they're winning their division. I don't think the Yankees are going to make it um, to a playoff spot as they are six back of the final playoff spot. So they'd have to win probably eight in a row at some point in these last 12 games to have any hope. Um, but, yeah, that's pretty much how it looks right now. I'll let you get to the NL wild card, but I'm really looking forward to this coming down the stretch. Both wild card races are tight. Um, you know, the NL has a few more teams in the race than the AL. Um, but it should be really, make for a really fun October going into November of playoff baseball. Yeah, I mean, the, the National League wild card is a, is a total, just a, a free-for-all right now. I'll get to the AL real quick. I will say it feels like if the Blue Jays can just – beat the Yankees like when they play them. So they have, they have 12 games. They play New York six times. They play Tampa six times. Um, they go to New York, to Tampa. They host New York, they host Tampa to end the year. Those are our next 12. The Mariners and the Rangers are going to play each other seven times between now and the end of the season. They each have 12 games left. Seven of them are against each other. So, one of those teams is not making it. I don't think. As long as the as long as the Blue Jays don't absolutely fold, I know they have some tough games against Tampa, and that's not going to be easy. Right. But if they can go and take care of business in New York against a team that they should beat, you know they're going to see Garrett Cole. But at the end of the day, like that, that's a great playoff test for them, right? You're going to see great pitching in the playoffs. So they can go take care of business in New York, take a couple games from from the Rays. They should just be able to play 500 baseball and win and, and get in, right? They should be able to play 500 baseball. And probably get in. Because, again, if the Mariners and the Rangers are going to play each other seven times, that's a lot, right? So and then you look at the Rangers. They've, they, they've got a little easier. They have Boston for two. And then their their other their other three games are against the Angels. Whereas the Mariners have – they have Oakland for two, which Boston, Oakland are both not that great this year. Um, and then they have Houston for three. So Houston's going to want to win those games. That said, the Rangers are just—they've been the streakiest team in baseball all year. So, um, if I had to make my picks, the Rangers, the Blue Jays are going to make it, and I think the Mariners are going to get in. I think the Mariners just—they feel a little more clutch. That said, they had a disappointing weekend. Um, they got swept at home by the Dodgers in a series that they needed to kind of—I thought they needed to come out and look. They need to win at least one game, maybe two, against the class in the National League, right? Like they're a top two team in the National League, top five team in baseball. Like they need to come out and prove that hey, we're world, we're serious World Series contenders. And they kind of fell flat. The games really weren't that close. The Dodgers ran out. They clinched on Saturday night. And on Sunday, they ran out the, like, not hungover squad, which Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Will Smith, Max Muncy, like, none of those guys played. Austin Barnes, who's been one of the worst position players in baseball, had a two-run homer on him. So, like, they kind of just got embarrassed all weekend, which sucks for them. Um, and it's kind of just how it is sometimes. So, 
this playoff atmosphere for sure. Seattle's ready for it. I just they've got to get right and get a little more consistent here. They should sweep the A's and then kind of get into they go to Arlington, which should be super great. I think that starts uh, with Thursday. So I'll be watching Thursday, Friday, Saturday, those games for sure. Uh, hopefully, it's a free game of the day on the network. I hope. Um, we'll see. But getting into the National League here, uh, Phillies have the top spot at four up. They're probably locked in there. I don't know what their schedule looks like. They're Again, they're probably locked in, making that, getting that spot. Just with the infighting that's going to go on between the next five, what, five teams where right. Diamondbacks are a half game up, the Cubs and the Reds are tied for the third spot, the Marlins are a half game back, and the Giants are two games back. The Padres are quietly five and a half back. They've played really good. They've won five straight. They've played really good baseball lately. I don't think they're going to make it because mm-hmm. I think their schedule. I think they have. I think they have another series against the Dodgers. I think I could be wrong, but I think their schedule is kind of tough. Um, actually, they might make. They could make. The, so they've got Colorado for two more in San Diego. They have. They host St. Louis for three. St. Louis is terrible. And then they have the Giants in San Francisco and they have White Sox in Chicago. So they're if they can rip off, I mean they'd have to win, keep this winning streak going. But I mean they can they could quietly make a run and kind of sneak back in, which would be I think a little scary for the rest of the you know, the rest of the league. Uh just with what they're gonna bring. They're gonna have the sign on winner, it looks like. They've got some really talented guys in that lineup. So I know that they're below five hundred, but a lot can happen. I they, I don't think they're going to, but they could, in theory, make it, make it, kind of make a run here. Um, Diamondbacks are half up. Again, Cardinals, Reds, or, or Cubs, Reds tied, and then Marlins a half game back. Giants two, two back. So, I guess I can look at schedules here. I, personally, I think it's going to be. I want to say the Cubs are going to make it because they've been so good, but they lost five straight. I think the Cubs rebound and get in. The Giants are not going to get. In. They have, they, I think they have six games against the Dodgers left. So I'm going to count the Giants out probably. Um, I know I said last week that they'd make it. They've not played good baseball over the last week. Um, they played around 500, which has not been good enough for the most part. Uh, I think the Diamondbacks are going to get in because they just refuse to quit. The Reds are just kind of intriguing. They have bad starting pitching, but the Reds, they, right. just, won't, they just won't die. So Phillies are definitely making it. I think the Diamondbacks will get in. I think they... I don't know what their schedule looks like to end the year. I think they have a fairly easy road to end this. I don't think they play the Dodgers. I don't think they play. They've already played the Braves. Let's see. They've got San Fran, New York, Chicago, Houston. I mean, they should win most of those series. Houston's an interesting one to finish the season. But, yeah, it's 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 a tight race. This is going to come down to the very last weekend. I think the Cubs and the Reds play the last, the last week of the year, uh, the last series of the season. So that probably decides the – they don't. Mm, never mind. Well, regardless, this is going to come down to the wire. Um, Marlins, again, they're pitching. I thought they could make it with their pitching, and then Sandy went down, which sucks. So, had a lot of injuries with the pitching staff. So, kind of see how that goes. But this is going to be a super, super I – mean, we thought the American League was going to be entertaining. This is going to be, like, down to the – literally down to the wire with all these teams. Yeah, I'm really looking forward – to play out baseball, like I said, um, it'll be really interesting to see what te- three teams from each uh, league, especially the NL, clinch those playoff spots here and probably the waning days of the regular season. Um, moving on to golf, though, that's pretty much it for baseball. Just a playoff update. Um, 
four teams have clinched, two have clinched divisions. So next week we might have a few more. Might not. We'll see how things shake out. But moving on to golf. Uh, last weekend we had the Fortinet Championship wrap up on Sunday. It was played at Silverado Resort and Spa at the North Course in Napa, California. Carried a purse of 8.4 mil, and Max Homo looks to become the first player in 12 years to win the same event three years in a row, as Steve Stricker was the last to do it in 2009 to 2011 at the John Deere Classic in Illinois. Par 72, 7,123-yard course. Uh, had proved to be really difficult, a relatively easy course, excuse me, over the Years as the winners normally finished around 18 to 21 under, and that held true this year. As although Homa didn't three-peat, uh, Sahith Thagala won it at 21 under, uh, shooting a 68, 64, 67, and 68. Won it by two shots. Took home 1.512 mil. Um, Max Homa finished tied for seventh at 13 under. So uh, a bigger variation in scores this week than I thought most than most people thought there would be uh, i think a lot of people thought that we would see more low scores than what we did um kind of after the top few guys you didn't see a, really anyone over 15 under so a couple guys got really hot this week Thagala being one of them taking him his first career pga tour victory although he's had some great moments uh in his career already as he's one of the young guys um so another guy you know coming onto the scene that has a bright future and should be in the game for a while so Always good to see when a young guy takes home uh, a dub. And, you know, I'm just rooting for good competition overall, low scores. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it for this past weekend. Won't have any PGA Tour event for the next two weeks, as starting the 29th, we'll have the Ryder Cup in Rome, Italy. So, uh, off week this upcoming weekend. And then the following weekend will be the Ryder Cup to close out the month of September into October. That should be really fun. Touched on it in detail last week. Uh, 12-man international team, 12-man U.S. team go out head-to-head in different formats each of the five days. In terms of the PGA Tour, the next PGA Tour event is the Sanderson Farms Championship, and that event will tee off on October 5th, so the following weekend. It is played at the Country Club of Jackson in Jackson, Mississippi, with an 8.2 mil purse, so just a little bit less of what the Fortinet Championship holds. And the Canadian, Mackenzie Hughes, won the event last year. So kind of closing out the 2023 golf season as they're shifting to a calendar schedule format for next year. So the 2024 season will start early in that calendar year. Um, Overall, the events aren't going to change that much from next year. Uh, The the purses will be different, obviously, as they change every year and continue to inflate. But Looking forward to a fun finish to the golf season as well. I know Ryder Cup is my favorite event of the year, uh, better than any of the majors and any of that. It's just elite competition with more on the line than just money. So looking forward to that one. But, I mean, it was it was a fun past weekend of golf, watching uh, Fortinet seeing the golf kind of slowly pull away and stay consistent. A lot of the times you see guys go into the final round and, um, you know, not play their best when – they needed to win and Tagala did just that and took on the crown. So good for him. Um, and yeah, just rooting for more good golf down the stretch. The scenes, not just the Ryder cup. I mean, he's awesome as a whole and it's always great golf, like you said, but I mean, the scenes in Rome, Italy are going to be maybe one of the most scenic golf tournaments we're going to see. Just, just the views around Rome are incredible. Um, 
Italy's a beautiful country. It's definitely a place that I want to go visit someday. Um, but just, just the scenes that you're going to get, obviously the great golf, but in Rome, Italy's going to be crazy. So, um, pretty, pretty unique, pretty cool spot. They get to play that tournament at. And, um, yeah, Ryder Cup's going to be pretty, pretty awesome. Um, like you said, it's, it's one of the better golf events every year. Um, it's one of the ones I try and watch every single year. So, um, big fan of, of just kind of the, the way the competition kind of unfolds. And then, um, I obviously Rome, Italy is going to be an awesome venue for that. So, um, like you said, should be um, some incredible golf come up this next next couple weeks. For sure. Um, you always hope that guys are at the top of their game when it matters most. And I think we'll see that for the most part um, when the Ryder Cup comes around um, in just under two weeks. But it's pretty much all we got in terms of um, like notable content. Of course, we're going to wrap it up with the ice bath. But really today our goal is just to kind of MLB standings update, golf update, um, won't really touch on the DP World Tour, which is the other big golf tour, uh, more of an international tour where Texas Tech alum Ludwig Aberg was in the lead through three rounds and unfortunately did not close it out on the final round. Um, Brian Fox won the event. He's won a lot of those events. Um, so it's tough competition. I know Ludwig beat out guys like uh, John Rahm and Rory McIlroy and Tommy Fleetwood and some other guys that were that are already overseas prepping for the Ryder Cup. Um that won't be participating in these next couple PGA tour events, but for the ice bath, uh, very well different, but similar um, ice baths here as they both pertain to football, but I'll kick it off here. So this is something that I've, I'm honestly like passionate about the NFL doing because we see so many injuries week to week. And it just frustrates me knowing that like, a lot of times the, it's the best players that get injured. And we saw it last night. If you weren't watching, Nick Chubb um, tore multiple ligaments in his left knee, the same one he tore while he was at Georgia. Um, so he's going to be out for a while. And it's just that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the playing surface, but the playing surface is a massive deal. I think a lot of the teams that where their home fields are turf have been have advocated pretty hard for the NFLPA and the league to push for um, field surface changes to natural grass. The turf, like the slit turf, is doesn't have as much give as it's just like little turf pebbles and it's like a flat ground on concrete where grass has more give, more natural. Uh, you can cut more efficiently, um, and it's overall just safer for the players. Uh, it's softer when you know your head goes back and hits the ground like we saw with Anthony Richardson this past Sunday. Um, we've seen a couple other big injuries. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers planting his foot at MetLife. They replaced the turf. That doesn't make it one of the best fields. Last The past few years before they replaced it, it was the worst field in football. I don't think it's much better, even with the new turf. Um, they need to get to grass, especially since they don't have a dome. There's no reason not to have grass. But uh yeah, I think we'd see a lot less head injuries and a lot less ankle injuries if we had um, grass. Knee too, although knee, it more so just depends on the position you're playing. But it's really frustrating and disappointing, it's not not for fantasy football, but just the league as a whole, especially when it impacts your team, like for me, J.K. Dobbins. But it's happened more and more each year, and I don't think the league's really doing anything about it to kind of regulate the injuries that we're seeing, they come out with new equipment, technology, whatever. But at the end of the day, 
that can only do so much with the speeds and force that they're playing with. So I think, you know, a finite solution like making every field natural grass to where you can see results and you can assess after that, that would be more beneficial to the league and to the players' health and safety than, you know, slight equipment adjustments, mainly for marketing. So um, I think they have a lot of work to do in this uh, field. I don't think they're anywhere close to a decision on this. I know a lot of guys have pushed for this for years. I've wanted it for a couple of years. I used to think turf was cool and all because it looked cleaner and better, but there's something about a natural grass field with a fresh paint that's just hits different and that's not even pertaining to safety. It just happens to be that it's safer for players, but, but yeah, I, I won't say much more. I'm just, I wish they would take more of a stance on take more of a stance against turf fields in favor of natural grass. Um, but I have another little thing, but I'll let you touch on this first. I mean, I think, I think, I mean, you're hundred percent right. Uh, you know, there's all these studies that claim that like, Oh, there's no more injuries, blah, blah, blah. But it is backed up that the grass is, from an impact standpoint, it is safer. So, again, it's less about, like, the impact you're taking when you take the hit. It's about the impacts the impacts you have up to the injury, right? So, like, if I'm playing on – if I'm if I'm playing nine – you know, it's – how many turf fields are there? It's probably, what, 70% in the NFL? Yeah, yeah probably around 70. Okay, so call it – I play seven games – I play 10 games. I play seven of them on a turf field. And the 10th game that I play, it's all random, except for the 10th game is on a natural grass field. And it just so happens that in the 10th game, I make a cut and I blow my ACL. Okay, what happened on natural grass? Oh, it must be the natural grass's fault. No, it's about the impacts that you're taking up to that. If you're making 70% of your cuts on a turf field, that's a harder impact on your knee which is going to wear it out more. It's like we always say running backs only have they have, a, they have, a, they have a shelf life and they only have so many, all these guys, they different for every guy, but some guys have shoot Frank Gore, Adrian Peterson. Those guys totaled the, totaled the rock thousands of times in their career. Right. And there's other guys who couldn't, I mean, I think of a guy with the chargers, like Ryan Matthews, first round pick, let me shoot Melvin Gordon's other guy. Like I'm just looking from my team's like history. These guys are really talented backs, first-round picks, great in college, had a couple good seasons in the NFL, and their bodies just couldn't hold up long enough. They only had so many hits and so many cuts, right? So when you when we talk about it, oh, it's ha- injuries happening on turf fields or happening on natural grass fields, well, no, it's more about the impacts that these players are taking on a day-to-day basis on turf fields, right? So, you know, I think we, we see it, and, and I think part of the injury thing is, and maybe this is what you're going to get to. I don't know. Um, but I think it's also like an overtraining thing. I think guys are – there's so many workouts going on. Guys are practicing for so long. I think we're seeing it, it, it rear its ugly head in the worst way on a very, very extreme level in the MLB this year with, with Tommy Johnson with UCL tears. I think pitchers are throwing way too much. And we're seeing it, it – it feels like every team's got a guy or two with Tommy John. That has had Tommy John is either sitting out this year from it or is getting it and going to sit out next year, right? So I think when you translate it to football, we see a lot more Achilles tears, we see a lot more ACL tears, we see a lot more of these ligament injuries or tears and these soft tissue injuries as opposed to bone breaks or contusions or just pulled muscles because shoot, this guy didn't warm up, pulled a hammy, whatever. 
we don't really see a lot of pulled muscles as much anymore. I feel like we see a lot more ligament injuries and things that are happening upon an impact and maybe a non-contact injury. Right. So, um, again, similarly to a pitcher that throws a two seam fastball with 20 inches of run, it's a lot on the elbow or throws a 92 mile an hour slider. It's a lot on the elbow, right? Or a crazy splitter like Shohei does. Well, that's going to wear out the UCL. What do you think Saquon Barkley is doing every week when he makes these crazy jump cuts and makes these crazy moves and he's running full speed and stopping and starting? That's the same thing, right? It's it's the it's different because it's a different part of the body and it's a different movement, but the principle is still the same. He's using those ligaments a hell of a lot, and I think it's about the impacts that we're taking in our week that guys are taking on turf fields the majority of the time. And I think we're just nearly split on where they happen. Right. I think that's just coincidence. So that's my take on it. I don't know if that's, what you're going to get to, I don't know if that's kind of where you were going with it. Um, I know we're gonna talk here about injuries in a second with kind of what happened last night, but um, yeah, I mean, a lot of injuries this year. Um, it sucks. And this is the worst thing for football. I hate this more than anything. The Chargers are 0-2. And they should fire Brandon Taylor tomorrow. And I still hate the injuries more than that. I want everyone to be healthy. The league, the game is at its best when its best players are playing. And when Saquon Barkley's out for, when Nick Chubb's done for the year, when Saquon Barkley's out for, are going to be out for a few weeks. Austin Eckler has no timetable for a return. Those are the league's biggest names and faces, right, at the running back position. That's just the running backs. We can go across the board right now and talk about it. Aaron Rodgers is blue and Achilles. He was the he was the biggest storyline of the offseason. He just he tore his Achilles four games into his Jets, Jets career. I mean, it's crazy, right? I know that's a different little bit of a different injury. It's a Miles thing. Like, it's like Kevin Durant. It was a Miles thing for him. Happened to Kobe, but like still, it's it's crazy, man. So I just it sucks. I hate to see this. Obviously, some of these are are avoidable. Some aren't. I would argue the Nick Chubb thing last night maybe wasn't just the way it happened. The Aaron Rodgers thing maybe not avoidable, but there are some of these things that are absolutely avoidable, 100%. Absolutely. We're kind of where I was going, leading into Nick Chubb, touching back on field surface. I looked it up, 16 of the 32 teams, exactly half, play on turf. Another 16 play on a combination of Bermuda grass, rye grass, and bluegrass. So I don't know what the comparison is between those grasses. I know a lot of teams prefer Bermuda grass, um, and I that'd probably be the one I'd pick for all teams to move to. It's just a little more give than bluegrass. I don't know if it has any difference on injuries, though. But going back to injuries that we've seen, you mentioned Barkley and obviously Chubb. Um, a lot of the things that have to do with these injuries are, like you said, the repetitive wear and tear that lead up to the injury, likely more times than not on turf fields. And then also their training regimen and programs that they're assigned as players of an organization. And I think a lot of these guys either have the wrong off season program or an inadequate in season program, whether that be from the strength and conditioning coach or whatever. But I think a lot of the times when these guys sustain these injuries, especially running backs, because they're hit the hardest and have to make the, you know, biggest cuts and they weigh the most and they they have the worst combo for injury that you could have on a football field in terms of what they do and their size and stuff. So a lot of the times I think 
Like I guarantee Saquon, his torn ACL in 2020 has something to do with his ankle injury because when you tear a ligament or a tendon or something like that to where it's a major recovery, the detraining period that you go through and the muscle mass that you lose in that time of recovery is not often regained as easily as you think it would be. It's a really long process. And a lot of the times those guys don't go through the right rehab process and it leads to re-injury. Like I, we saw with Nick Chubb, the same knee, I guarantee you those ligaments didn't heal correctly. And although he made it six more years without injury, he had the injury again. And this one could be a lot more severe given that he's six years older, six years of more wear and tear. And we might not see him bounce back like he did from the first one in college. So in terms of the re-injury, it does have a huge impact on these guys. The rehab process is always going to be flawed. There's always an individualization portion to it to where no rehab process is going to be the same just because everyone's so different. Everyone's body reacts so differently. Um, and then also in terms of preventing injury, it comes down to guys not having adequate recovery and rest, sleep time, um, not having proper nutrition. So a lot of the times when you compile all of those things together, it drastically heightens the risk for injury and it leads to guys, big name guys that maybe they're doing everything right, but they're not taking care of their body and maybe, maybe they're taking care of their body and eating well, but they're not sleeping enough. So it's, it doesn't have to be everything for something to go wrong. You could just be doing one thing wrong or have one prior injury and boom, you're out again. So it's just an everlasting cycle of guys going down and coming back and then someone else goes down and a few years later the same guy goes down again and a cycle of guys getting injured and coming back and inadequate recovery and rehab and physical therapy and retraining of these guys to get back to the level they were and there's always the mental side of it too that a lot of guys don't really talk about in the rehab process it's that okay you're healed now go do it again go get hit again it's like a lot of those guys are really cautious about that for a while, and you see it more so in some than others, but that's a really big aspect to it too. So I think all of it combined is just it's just the nature of the sport, unfortunately, but there's always room to improve, and I think there can be good measures of improvement relatively easily if we just take a few different courses of action in terms of you know changing the playing surface and maybe different training programs for some teams. So that's all I'll say on that, but a lot of things can be done and they aren't year after year. So it's just a little annoying to see that teams don't necessarily value the players like they're million dollar people, you know, million dollar athletes that bring in tons of money every week that they need to surround them with the right resources and environment to succeed and prolong their careers. So that's that uh, a little small thing in addition is that, you know, last night we had two Monday Night Football games, a AFC North matchup and an NFC South matchup in the Saints and Panthers. I want I want guys to push for two Monday Night Football games, um, though it's awesome. I mean, watching, being able to flip between two games on a Monday night is nice. I like it over Thursday night, whereas, you know, Thursday night, it's nice because you don't have to wait as long to watch NFL. You get NFL every three days. But in terms of these team schedules and stuff like that, it really throws a wrench in their weekly schedule when you have to play Sunday and then play Thursday and then you have 10 days off. It's like, 
well, we got to completely adjust our schedule and the off day and whatever. So I think they should cancel the Thursday night football games in favor for a Monday night, another Monday night game. And let's say you kick them off. You can kick them off both at 715. I mean, you have, what, eight noon games at once on Sunday. So I think you can have two games at once for Monday night. You still be able to attract all the markets. And, you know, if there's a terrible game on, you can flip to other game. And if they're both terrible, well, just watch one. I mean, it's football. So I think when you get 14 games, given that no team has a bye week, you get 14 games on a Sunday and two on a Monday. And then you have college football really Thursday, Friday, Saturday, a little on Sunday. I think that would be much better for players' health and safety as well. Having a more consistent schedule every week in terms of treatment plans and recovery timeframes and rest periods, I think that would also benefit the league as well. And you'd see a lot less injuries um, because of that too, in terms of not having such a um, varying schedule week to week. Yeah, I'm I'm all for two and a two Monday night games. I so last night it was what six fifteen and seven fifteen, so at Central yeah. Time. I think the problem is East Coast gets totally hosed with with a late kick. So th- what I think they should start doing is finding a team. So if you look at like an NFL map, there's a good bit of teams that are in Central Time Zone. I think it's New Orleans, yeah, New Orleans is central time zone, and Minnesota, and I guess Chicago, Indy, Tennessee, Green Bay. So I think when you draw the line, like right down, like like through the middle of Alabama is almost where it is, kind of through Kentucky, you get two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen. You get half the league is on central time zone or earlier. So I think you dedicate each week, you try and make it a West Coast game. So you try and get a, you know, so Denver, Seattle, San Francisco, Vegas, LA, or Arizona. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams in six cities. I think you try and get one of those games as your, I think you kick it. So if we're talking central time, you kick it at 7.15 or 8.15. So, you know, maybe the East Coast doesn't necessarily have a, a, a huge buy-in on it. You'd want to watch it. Maybe you get two West. Maybe you do like a divisional matchup there, whatever you want to do, um, and then kick off it. Because I think having, or maybe can you kick it off at 8:15 Central Time, and then you kick one off at 6:15 Central Time. Um, or maybe you do like a, maybe you do. There's so many East Coast teams, right? Maybe do an East Coast matchup that kicks off at 6:15 Central and or six or 5:15 Central, and you just you miss the the West Coast window because they don't really care. And then you get, you know, an 8-15 kickoff, uh, or 7-15 Central kickoff. That way you don't miss the East Coast late window um, on a Monday night. Um, I just think that, like, an hour in between the games was tough last night. An hour and a half would even maybe even be better. An hour was tough because I felt – I found myself – like, I didn't even watch the Saints game once the other game came on. Like I, and I really didn't even like I was like finishing up my day. The ground I was in the car, like driving home when the game started. So like I didn't watch it in the car, obviously. But by the time I was like ready to go, I was always going to watch the better game. I just wouldn't have because they were so basically on almost the same time. I was only going to watch the one game. So I think, you know, there's probably a better way to time it out wise. Um, maybe maybe one game starts when the other one's at half. Something like that. Maybe you try you try and time it nicely. I don't know. Yeah. Um, 
but maybe a little more time between them would be great. But I'm all for two two Monday night games. I'm with you. Yeah, or even, think, two, or even two Sunday night games. Even two Sunday night games would be great. Yeah, I I, mean, I definitely think Sunday and Monday only would be ideal. Maybe you have a Tuesday night game, but then you're just I think three days in a row with different teams and markets be a little confusing and probably a little overboard. So I know they did it a few years ago with COVID and cancellations and delays and stuff like that, but I think Sunday and Monday only would be ideal for in terms of the revenue you're going to bring in in combination with the players week to week schedule and process and recovery and stuff like that. So um, it'd be a lot of fun. I think they should do it more often. They're doing it again next week with two minute football games. They normally do early in the season, you know, have a couple weeks with multiple games on Monday and it always goes pretty well other than the timing isn't always great. Um, but that's pretty much it. I got all that I got for y'all. Um, I'll let you hit your ice bath to round it out. I'm taking my victory lap brother on May on an episode that came out on May 22nd. So it was before we went on our summer hiatus. My hot take, and I'm going to read it verbatim because I can just scroll down in our document. My hot take was Texas Tech is going to land consensus five-star wideout Micah Hudson. Last week, last Monday, Micah Hudson committed to Texas Tech. So, just saying, I'm taking my victory lap. The word was he's ready to commit since June. So this was before all of the crystal balls flipped to him. He hadn't even taken his OV yet. He hadn't taken his OV to Texas yet. This is before all that. I was just confident in the way that in which he'd been recruited. I'm taking my victory lap on my turn up the heat. Micah Hudson's a Red Raider. Um, this is this is pro is a program altering commitment, right? I think you've seen, you know, I think the number one player in the class is an edge player committed to Mizzou. Well, that's great, but like there's not been this momentum for Mizzou football, right? There's been national momentum for Texas Tech football for about a year now on the recruiting stage, about a year and some change. Kind of since Joey took over, there's been kind of a movement since that spring. So, again, call it 18 months, if you will. You're in some change. This is big. I mean, this is this is a big deal. It's about it's now it's about the guys that Micah Hudson's going to bring with him. The guy he's the guy that says, everyone follow me and let's go change a program. And I think you're going to see that in the next couple of years. Um, you know, a lot of guys are already committed for this class. I think when you look at the junior class. I think you're going to start seeing some guys that, that maybe take Texas Tech a little more seriously. I know one and two is not the start that, that we wanted. Um, I think you could argue if we had different quarterback playing both games, they win both those games, and they're 2-0, and oh, and we're sitting here as probably a top-20 team, top-15 team. That said, that's not where we're at. Um, you know, we can't really change that. That said, I think when you look at what this team can be and what they've done and the way that they've played, big things are coming for this program. Big thing. When you get a guy like Micah Hudson, who's the highest rated receiver can ever come out of the state of Texas, with the likes of Garrett Wilson and Jack Smith and Jigba in the last few years, that's saying something, right? That, that's a big deal. And obviously, there's a recruit. He's not done anything in college yet. But the way the guy moves, you can just kind of tell sometimes. The guy, I mean, guys are going to be different in college, and he's one of them, it feels like. So, you know, at the, he's playing in Texas 5A. He's playing at the highest level, it feels like. He's not in 6A, but he's played some 6A teams. He dominates all the seven-on-seven tournaments, so this guy's the real deal, and um, this is a big deal for Texas Tech. I know, again, one and two is not the start that we wanted, but I think you look down the stretch and you look at what's to come in the future with what we saw from Baron Morton, 
on Saturday, and again, it's Tarleton State, but compare the two quarterbacks on Saturday and then um, kind of see what he can do next year with that offense is um, is exciting. So, again, it's a big deal for Texas Tech. It's, again, program-altering. It's a big deal. Um, I don't want to kind of get overlooked by the less than stellar start they've had. Um, this guy's this is gonna it's gonna change a lot of things in Texas Tech and um, I'm, I'm I was never not keeping the faith with Joey but I think a lot of fans have realized like hey this thing that Joey's building is not just gonna be overnight it's not gonna be in two years I know we thought it could be and it still and it still can don't get me wrong they can still win the conference they can still win most of their conference games and do that like the Big 12 hasn't looked good to be honest they've not so like they could still go do that don't get me wrong. But at the same time, like this is going to take a couple of years. And once he gets his guys in here, it's going to be special. So I'm pumped. Um, I was super, super excited on Monday night when Micah committed. It's a really big deal. Um, again, seeing a guy like him commit to Texas Tech is, is huge. So, um, yeah, man, I'm just excited. And I'm going to take I guess I'll take my victory lap on uh, my hot take from, from uh, just about, what, August july june four months ago wow that's crazy the males four months ago that's insane dude but yeah i'm mm-hmm. taking my victory lap a little bit oh yeah i'm pumped about it um obviously the biggest recruiting program in history uh you know i think next year is going to be big stadium will be finished in terms of their renovations uh you know mcguire's recruiting classes will start to get more and more playing time we'll see obviously a good recruiting class next year led by micah uh qb battle should be fun so a lot to look forward to next year but even this year uh, i think there's a lot of room for improvement for a lot of guys on this team i think going into the season we expected more from a lot of guys on the team that get playing time and they haven't really produced to this point in the season so with commerce play starting this week for texas tech at least um i know we had a couple big 12 games this past weekend but for texas tech um to start the commerce play at West Virginia is a place they've historically always played well, um, knock on wood, but uh, they're favored by six. I don't, we'll get to that on Thursday, but that should be a fun game. That's a big turnaround game that you can really, you know, put your foot down and say, let's win some games. Um, so it should be fun and looking forward to it. I mean, college football season's awesome, especially conference play, getting them, you know, bowl games and stuff like that. Um, that's what we got, you know, non-conference wrapped up this past weekend. So we'll have a few scattered non-conference games throughout the regular season schedule for most teams. Um, but yeah, we're looking forward to it. Big time commit. Look, I mean, I wonder who else he's going to bring with him. Like you said, um, should find out not too long. Um, but yeah, lots to look forward to. Overall, pretty good episode today. Episode 53 on Tuesday. Um, we are going to have our fifth edition of thursday turf talk coming out to y'all in a couple days we're going to break down you know our four picks and then the tech game for week four of college football along with the full nfl week three slate we're going to touch on the primetime matchups our teams and maybe a couple others um nonetheless make picks for every team so stay tuned um a lot coming out here on all the different platforms apple amazon google spotify um yeah we're excited to get this content to y'all both on tuesdays and thursdays and looking forward to it a sporting landscape or a sports landscape is heating up like we mentioned last week hockey and basketball are going to start in about a month so that's just you know more adding to the slate where we're going to talk about that um 
But yeah, we're in the heat of the baseball season and football is just kicking off. So fun time to be a sports fan. Um, stay tuned in to us. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Cold Seat Podcast. And we'll see you all in a couple days. <laughs>